Okay. Welcome to Sales Room Podcast. Uh, my name is Emmanuel AGK, and as you already know, I'm your friend and your host. Today, we've got a very interesting guest on the podcast, but I'm not going to intro, do, the, do the intro myself. I'm going to let him do the intro by himself. Douglas Cole, can you take up the floor now? Thank you very much. No, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'll just give you a quick background. I would say I wear three career hats at the moment. So one of those hats is that I'm a full-time sales leader at LinkedIn, which means I lead a team of sales professionals who are trying to grow our commercial relationships with large enterprise clients. The second hat is I work with startup accelerators in Canada. We have a couple of those here, and we are trying to build the next generation of companies that are selling B2B products and services. So I'm working with some of those founders. And then the third hat is, is a teaching hat. I do teaching work with the University of Toronto, the Rotman School of Business, and with the York Executive Education Center. So I, I do a variety of things that are related to sales fundamentals and consulting fundamentals in the role as a teacher. So those are my three hats. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Douglas, for that. I I understand that you just released one of the. Is this the first book you are writing? Or you've written it is the first. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. All right, you just released um, your first book, the Sales MBA. I'm going to get to that, but before then, I want to ask you this question. Now, COVID came in 2020, right, and disrupted a whole lot of things. I want to get your thoughts on what do you think of sales post COVID. Yeah, I think my basic reaction to the impact of COVID is that it has changed a lot of things, and but it has also accentuated certain things about sales, which have always been the case. In other words, it's accentuated the fundamentals. So I, I would say that on the, on the question of what it has changed, I mean, the most obvious change, of course, is just the, the manner in which a sales professional engages with a prospect or a buyer that has now moved from being fundamentally or primarily face-to-face or analog to now being primarily digital. And, and that's because initially we were forced to do that, but I think in being forced to do that, both buyers and sellers started to see that in fact, there were, there were many aspects of that digitally first motion that were actually better, more convenient, more enjoyable in some sense than the previous world, right? So, so there has been this shift in all the studies, you know, the, the bunch of McKinsey studies, for example, that show that both from the perspective of the buyers and the sellers, uh, there's this now, I think, default expectation that, that people should be able to work remotely and to sell remotely. So that has clearly been a major, major change. We haven't, we've, we've rolled back a little bit. I think it's more, most of us recognize that within our office environments, we do spend, we've gone back to some time in the office, but it is mostly, digital. Um, and I guess another way to say that it's it's now hybrid. So that's the big change. The, the thing about that change, though, uh, with respect to my second point, is that it has really, I would say, underlined and highlighted the fundamentals of sales. So let me give you one example of that. There, there, was, a, there was a report that my company, LinkedIn, released just a few weeks ago called the 2022 State of Sales. And for that report, they 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 aggregated a very large sample size of roughly thirty thousand buyers and sellers, and they they focused uh, on the top performing sellers within that population. In other words, people who achieve one hundred and fifty percent of quota or more. And what they realized was, essentially, there were there were from my point of view, there were three takeaways about those top performers, and, and those three takeaways were number one that 
they prepared much more comprehensively. They were using a, a wider variety of sales intelligence and, and information that's digitally available, right? So their preparation was more thorough. They have a much deg higher degree of personalization. They are looking for warm connections as opposed to reaching out cold. And again, they're identifying those connections through digital channels. And then they have a, a much greater and more focused approach to, to prioritization. In other words, strikingly, they actually spend less time selling than the average performer. And the reason for that, I think, is that they, they've just decided what really matters and they're taking the shots in a more considered and deliberate way. So this is why I say that the, the world is different because of the way we sell, but it's also made us much more aware of what these fundamentals are and how to execute these fundamentals, but just now in a, in a digital setting. Oh, great. Now I'm going to come back to that fundamentals because I know I have a copy of um, the sales MBA. I know you talked a lot about the sales fundamentals. I'm going to go back to that. But before then, I want to ask you this question because you mentioned top performers in sales. Now, what are some of the or the characteristics, the components that makes one a top performer? You know, from your experience as a sales leader. Yeah. Well. There's, it's such an interesting question. It's a very complicated question. And there's so many ways to go with it. But one of the ways that I, one of the things that I've observed, and in fact, this is one of the main driving energies behind the book, is that there is, there is a, there's a mindset component to a top performer that I have found to be really noticeable. And it reminds me, there's a very famous quote that, that I remember reading many years ago from Stephen Covey, the guy who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. And he made this one offhand comment one day where he said, if you're looking for incremental change, focus on behavior. And if you're looking for quantum change, focus on the mental paradigm. In other words, the way people view themselves and see the world, that has a huge knock-on impact in terms of the way that they behave in the world. But that's that's the sort of dom that's the lead variable, it's their, their mental paradigm. And when I was looking at the world of sales, one of the things that I observed is that there is a noticeable mindset progression that people go through. And what it looks like is that when they start in sales, initially, most people are a little bit uncomfortable about the fact that they're trying to persuade a busy stranger to buy something. And so their, their fundamental mindset is one of just being liked. They want to be liked. There's this likability obsession where they, they try to be as charming and as as charming and as, as charismatic as possible. That's the likability. Then they progress, I would say, to what I would call mutuality. In other words, they become much more interested in win-win outcomes. They think about the buyer-seller, rather the buyer's perspective, they think about their own perspective and, they, and they're looking to engineer some sort of mutually beneficial outcome. That's the mutuality stage. And then the, the mindset of the top performers is what I would call objectivity. There's this state of mind that these performers bring to a sales conversation where they are actually legitimately perceived by the buyer as someone who is a trusted advisor. They've earned that trust, even though it is perfectly clear that the seller is compensated based on their ability to land a commission on the sale. That doesn't matter, that, 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 the, that the salesperson is bringing a legitimate, a plausible objectivity to that conversation as a result of being able to see the variables in play. And that's a very difficult mental state to achieve. You have to get out of the ego domain that sort of pulls you down into that likability level. And you need to be able to look at what's really what's going on. And so my book is very much about trying to break that down and you know, describe the components of that objectivity. Awesome. Because I wanted to say that because I know you are getting into the content of the book right now because I went through it, I think, last night. And I saw some of the things you are talking about in the book. 
Now, that takes me to the question, why the sales MBA? Why do you decided to um, title the book, The Sales <laughs> MBA? Well, um, yeah, the reason why I'm trying to, the reason why I'm calling it a sales MBA is that I myself have a traditional MBA. I went through a, a, a conventional MBA program. And okay. one of the things that struck me about that program is that it didn't touch on sales at all. There was no sales course to speak of in the entire MBA program I went through. And, and in fact, that's not a coincidence. That, that, is, that is not in, by any means uh, atypical. When you look at within the North America, for instance, there are roughly 4,000 colleges and universities and fewer than 10% of them have sales courses. And so I have always found this very striking that for a profession that is so incredibly pervasive, it is so well, well represented in the modern economy, not just in formal sales roles where people are carrying their quota, but just in the fact that people have to sell in many knowledge worker roles. It just strikes me as being really odd that there's no formal approach to how to sell an influence. So that's one of the, that was, that's the second key driver, I would say, in writing this book is to try to put my thoughts on the table for at least a rev one of what, what are these curricular foundations in the study of sales, at least within a B2B context. Because I do believe that there is a set of first principles that people who sell need to understand in order to be effective. And so that, that's why I'm calling it an, a sales MBA. I'm, I'm trying to find that curricular foundation for the study of sales. Okay. Um, so you, you talked a lot about mindset in the book. And I wanted to ask you this question. This question is about um, behavioral economics. Are there touch of behavioral economics in the book that you can you know share with us? Or why did you decide to you know touch on those points? Yeah, for sure. It's definitely uh, an important section in the book. Uh, section three, it's called Becoming a Decision Architect. And that is trying to, to, to reference and to draw on some of the well-established literature on behavioral economics. I mean, I think for me, one of the most interesting things about sales, uh, is one of the things I discovered when I got into sales, and I didn't expect to find it as stimulating as I did, but I think that sales is fundamentally a combination of strategy and psychology. And so that psychology component uh, requires you, or I think um, uh, means that you benefit a lot by uh, by studying uh, psychology and things like behavioral economics. So behavioral economics, as it sounds as if you're quite familiar with the theme, but behavioral economics, for the benefit of those who don't don't understand the term, it's a school of thought that emerged in the universities in reaction to traditional economics. So so traditional economics always assumed that people make decisions within the economy based on their own rational self-interest. And that the, that assumption was, was what underlay a lot of the models that, that economists would, would make about the economy, a lot of projections that they would make. And behavioral economics emerged because people started to notice that this clearly was not true, that all the evidence suggested that the way we make decisions is not especially rational. And in many instances, it's extremely irrational. And, and so people like Daniel Kahneman and Richard Thaler and Daniel Ariely and all the the godfathers of behavioral economics came up yeah. with all the evidence to show that irrationality was really at the heart of, of human behavior. So the reason why this matters to a sales professional is that we need to understand as sales professionals why people buy. What is the mental process that people go through in order to make a buying decision? Is that a rational process or is it an irrational process? And the, the insights that behavioral economics has to offer are directly relevant to the sales professional insofar as 
our buying decisions are, are in many instances, not irrational. So what behavioral economics says is that our, our decisions are, are really bounded by these three limits of the human brain. We are, we are bounded by our ability to pay attention. We're, bounded, we're bounded by our limits in terms of how rational we can be. And we're bounded by self-interest. So these are the three, three boundaries. And if you think about what a salesperson goes through, those are exactly the challenges that you need to address if you're trying to sell. You need to get notice so that those are the bounds of attention. You need to get somebody to make a judgment about your product or service. So you're working within bounds of, of rationality. And then you need, get, you need to get someone to take action. And those are the bounds of self-interest. So when I talk about this within that section on behavioral economics, I'm, I'm trying to use those bounds of human cognition as a starting point for some recommendations and some examples of, of how people can be more effective. The way I've structured that section on behavioral economics is I have uh, used as a starting point these 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 bounds of attention, bounds of rationality, and bounds of self-interest. And then with each one of those domains, I talk about a couple of principles. So there are six in total. I talk about a couple of principles that I think are relevant to a sales professional. So for instance, within the bounds of attention, I talk about influence levers and I talk about the peak end rule. So maybe I'll give you one example from each. We'll, we'll, we'll go from the we'll go from the bounds of attention at rationality and self-interest. But so within the bounds of attention, one of the examples that I use there, when I use the phrase influence levers, I'm referring actually to some work that predates behavioral economics. Uh, there was a, a, a famous book that was written a couple of decades ago now by Robert Cialdini called Influence, uh, The Science of Persuasion. And in that book, he talks about these, he talks about, he makes a very familiar point to anyone who studied behavioral economics. He basically says that the way we judge things we, is, is through these convenient cues and shorthand indications. So we, we don't have time to, you know, to, to, to analyze things in a really methodical and effortful way. So we, we look for these we look for these shortcuts. And so the, the, the influence levers that Cialdini identified were things that most of us have heard of, things like social proof and authority and consistency and reciprocity and scarcity. Uh, he has seven of them in total. So, um, so I talk about these and I talk about how important they are. I mean, in my own case, I can tell you that I keep a list of these as a, as a checklist by my computer on the desk just to remind me anytime I'm writing important communication Great. to team or the organization or, or a client, whatever, it's good to just remind yourself of these because anyway, the book uses an example of how one of the top performers that I'm, that I highlighted in this book was using, was prospecting and she was trying to get a client to respond and she got an instant response to her email because in my view, this email is a perfect example of embedding influence levers within one's communication. I walk through how she weaves social proof and authority and reciprocity and scarcity and all these things they're all woven into her yeah so 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 that they, they all sort of add up to something much more powerful so that that would be an example of 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 the working within the bounds of attention using these influence levers to strengthen your communication so let's talk about this um who are the, because i know we have a lot of Books, thousands of books, if not millions, millions of sales books out there. And yeah. you yeah. just released the sales MBA. Who is it for? For um, the B2B sales guy or the B2C sales guy? Who exactly is this book written for? Yeah, yeah. very good question. 
Very good question. And one that I had to think about long and hard, because as you say, there's a ton of stuff written on, on, on sales. So this book is the, the primary audience for this book is the B2B sales professional selling into who, who is selling through an enterprise, sorry, a relationship-based sale into an enterprise. Um, so what that means that it is not for somebody who is selling in a B2C context, for example, a real estate agent or you know, a, a franchise owner or something like that. It, it is it is someone who is selling to a corporate buying committee, and and is, and is has a sales process that is relationship driven. That that is the ideal buyer. Um, I will say that. I think it's useful to think of a primary buyer for a book, and it's also it's also useful to think of the secondary audience. And okay. the, the 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 primary audience is as I've described, and the secondary audience I would say would be people who just want to understand the science of influence a little bit better. Because I would I would argue that sales is a is a is a specialized field in some sense that has a lot of principles to offer people who are outside of that area of specialty. But who nonetheless could benefit from some of its insights? You know, I use the example in this book how you know I think we can all benefit from people who specialize, even though we don't intend to go down that exact route. I, I'm very interested in hear what you know a ballet dancer has to say about flexibility uh, in order to keep myself more flexible, even though I don't want to be a ballet dancer. So I think that sales is one of these highly specialized areas that that, that concentrates on human relationships and, as I said, the strategy and bad policy of influence. That uh, in such a in such a um, in such a, a deep and intense way that I think it has a lot of value to offer. So that's the secondary audience. People just want to get better at, at influence. All right, great. Thank you so much. Um, just actually begin to wrap up um, the interview. At what point did you do you say, oh, it is time to write this book? Was there anything that happened that made you say, like, I need to write a book right now because I have to address this, this, or that? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I would say that it's it really was just something that I needed to write. I, I felt, you know, it's funny. I've heard some people who have written books, they offer this piece of advice. They say, only write the book if you feel it would be more painful not to write the book. Because you have to understand that it's very, very painful to write a book. It requires a lot of effort. You know, you have to yeah, you have to cut yourself off from society. So for me, the reason why I had to write it was that I, I was in the process in my day job of building this curriculum called the Mini MBA for Sales. And so I was thinking through this stuff and I had to write this book because it was it would have been too painful not to try to codify these this material in a digestible and sort of well, well-designed manner. So I, I just had to write it in order to take what I was learning and just put it down on the page. There so was a cohesive experience for, for, for the reader. Um, and so I was just, I don't know, it was one of these obsessive, char his obsessive characteristics, I suppose. All right. Um, before I let you go, um, Douglas, I would like you to talk to us about how people can connect with you. But first of all, how people can get this book. Of course, I've read um, a part of it. I've not concluded, I've not finished, completed um, the book, but I find out that it is very, very interesting. And of course, people that might want to get the book, they will be asking, like, where do I get the book? How do I get the book? Can you talk to us about that? How best can people get access to this book? Where can I can they purchase it? 
Yeah, sure. sure. The best way to buy the book is on Amazon. That's uh, the simple way to go. I just look for the sales MBA, how to influence corporate buyers. And the the best way to to connect with me and to sort of be part of the learning journey that I'm going to continue is uh, either on LinkedIn, uh, I have an active president on LinkedIn or on my website, the salesmba.ca. And uh, you can sign up for the newsletter there. And um, okay. only other thing I would say is that if if any part of the book does land, if it does feel as though it helps you in some way, please write a review on Amazon because that is the best way to to reach others too. Great, great. Thank you for being a fascinating conversation with you. Thank you for honoring the invitation. So this is where we end the podcast because we like to keep it um, 30 minutes or less. So we can get connected more on the other side of the world. Thank you so much, Douglas. Um, see you on the other side. Thank you very much, Emmanuel. It's great to talk to you. All right. Bye. Welcome to the Sales and Marketing Podcast. My name is Emmanuel AGK. I'm your host and also your friend. Today, I've got a very important friend in the show. His name is Gift Simeon. Um, he is an online consultant. Uh, he's done a lot of things when it comes to online strategies, SEOs, and the like. I don't want to introduce him. I would allow him to do the intro himself as we get into the show properly. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to this episode. My name remains Emmanuel AGK, your friend and your host. I really hope this episode was valuable to you. Let's meet in the next episode. Bye. Welcome to the Marketing and Sales Podcast. My name is Emmanuel Ejiki. As you already know, I'm your friend and your host. Today on this episode, I've got a very important friend. His name is Gift Simeon. Gift Simeon is an online business consultant. He's done a lot of things when it comes to online marketing, especially SEO. Uh, I wouldn't want to introducing myself i would allow gift introduce himself as we dive into the show properly stay tuned <laughs>